0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Astrology with Alice. I'm your host, Alice Bell, and today we have a fun Q&A episode. So a couple weeks ago, I asked you guys to submit any astrology questions you have, trying to keep it more general, um, not super focused on your own chart, and everyone did the assignment perfectly. I've compiled 11 questions that were my absolute favorites so, if your question didn't get answered, maybe I'll do it in an upcoming episode. If you are listening to this and you're you're realizing you have a question you forgot to submit it, you can still email me or DM me and I will save it for a later Q&A episode. But let's get into it. So, starting off, first question I have is, I hear a lot about birth chart stelliums, but would love to hear more about transit stelliums. Are they just as powerful? Yes. And... This is a really like timely question because we currently have this pattern of like how Mars and Venus and Mercury and the sun are positioned in the sky right now. They're very close together and so specific signs and houses of your chart are getting activated with a ton of transits at once. So like during Capricorn season, we had like the sun, Mercury, Venus and Mars all moving through Capricorn pretty close to each other during that same time period. And now they've shifted out of Capricorn into Aquarius. And now they're going into Pisces and then Aries. And finally, it'll start to disperse a little where we won't get these four inner planets all clustered in one sign. But for right now, as they are moving so closely to one another like certain areas of your chart are just getting hit very heavily with a lot of transits at once. And this basically happens like once every two years because the sun and Mars have this cycle where Mars will go retrograde. And then eventually the sun catches up with it again and they start moving closer together So the last time we had planets like clustered in these signs together was 2022. So it's not, it's not something that happens very often, but when it does, it's very important to look at like what houses and signs of your chart are getting activated by all those transits at one time, because it's like, there's a lot going on there at once. And this might be the year versus like last year where like, okay, if you have Aquarius maybe as your 10th house. There's more major steps being taken in your career right now. Having like the sun having gone through Aquarius, Pluto entering Aquarius, Mercury in Aquarius, now Venus and Mars into Aquarius. Like that's a lot of transits, one after the other. And you didn't get that last year. Like last year it was just like the Sun and Mercury and like Saturn a bit. But this year it's there's just a pile up of planets happening there. So you can expect more. Like significant advancements to take place in that part of your life. Okay, question number two, what to expect during a Mercury return? So a Mercury return happens once a year. It's when transit Mercury, like where it currently is, returns to the sign in which it's in, in your birth chart. And it usually happens pretty close to the time of your birthday because Mercury is always close to the sun. It can never be more than one sign away from the sun. So like if the sun is in Pisces, Mercury can only be in Pisces, Aries, or Aquarius. You can't have Mercury in like Gemini while the sun is in Pisces. It just doesn't work like that. So you'll always get it kind of close to your birthday. And I would just read it as like a reset of like What are you interested in learning about, communicating about, writing about, speaking about? Like Anything that involves Mercury, it's kind of like having a reset to that, that part of your life and those Mercurial themes. I do want to note that the Mercury return becomes a lot more important to look at when a Mercury retrograde is happening in your Mercury sign. Because there'll be three hits of that Mercury return within like... A month, month and a half long period. So knowing that Mercury retrograde is taking place across the fire signs this year. So we have like an Aries Mercury retrograde coming up and then a Leo one and then ending the year out with a Sagittarius Mercury retrograde. So for those people who have Mercury and fire signs, knowing that they're going to get a super intense Mercury retrograde Mercury return during these Mercury retrograde periods this year. So it may just be like looking at 2024 overall and knowing that's coming. Maybe this is more of a year where writing and getting clear on, even if you're not a writer, just like getting clear on like what, how can you best communicate with people and get your ideas across? That's just a bigger focus for you for the year. Like Mercury becomes a way bigger deal when you have that extended Mercury return. Next question is best timing for signing a contract for a new job. By the time this comes out, I think I will have released my Substack newsletter on this. But so if you haven't read that, and if you have read this, you'll probably already know the answer. But new moon to full moon, like I would try to get it in that two week period of the month, like right after a new moon leading up to the full moon. Okay, moving on. Is it a good idea to get married during a Saturn return? I would say yes, because Saturn is a planet all about commitment and longevity. And if you sense that your relationship is the real deal, like this is the person you want to be with, then that Saturn return is a great moment to solidify the relationship and further commit to each other. I also just don't put rules on don't get married at this time, get married at this time. Like Some people I've heard say like don't get married before your Saturn return. I don't necessarily agree with that. It's more like if you are married before the Saturn return and it comes up, maybe that's just like an increased period of like stress or in the relationship, or maybe you kind of have to reflect on how you're relating to your partner. And maybe there's a bit of a change in the dynamic going on there. I don't view the Saturn return as bad for relationships, but if there is something on the rocks and you haven't been true to yourself about like facing the reality of that relationship, the Saturn return will come along and be like, look, this is not, this is not your person. This is not meant to last in the long term. And an ending will typically come about. But if you're secure in the relationship and you know that this is the right thing for you, Saturn return is great for having more commitment. To tail off of that, I have another question about Saturn Returns. Um, This person asks, can you have a positive Saturn Return? Absolutely, you can. My Saturn Return was great. I met the love of my life, who I'm getting married to. I wrote my first book, and I learned how to take better care of my body. So it doesn't mean it's not without its challenges. Like, it can feel very frustrating and like things are taking way too long to happen, or there's just this moment where there's a reevaluation of like, what do I want to be doing with my life? And that can be very tough because usually like, you don't expect to feel that way. And it kind of hits you, this feeling of, am I on the right path? I know I want to be doing something bigger or different, but being unclear of what that looks like quite yet. But Ultimately, I do feel like in a lot of cases, I see the Saturn return as a time where people really do figure out like what they want to be working towards over the next couple decades and pivoting in that new life direction. And also, like if you have been putting effort towards something for a while— The Saturn return can be that breakthrough moment where it's like you're finally getting that extra responsibility you wanted or that recognition you've been yearning for. So I definitely do not read the Saturn return as a negative time. Next question is, I'm trying to get a handle on predictive charts, such as solar returns and progress charts. When you're interpreting them, do you interpret these charts on their own or do you interpret them against natal, transit, something else? So with solar returns, I look at that as a standalone chart mainly. Sometimes I will add it over the natal chart, and it can be helpful for added insight. But I find just the quickest way to understand what it's saying, and it's very accurate, is to just look at the solar return as a standalone chart and like read it as a chart that lasts for a year-long period. Secondary progressions, I always overlay onto the natal chart. So they'll appear around the natal chart and looking at when progressions move into a new sign and house of the chart or meet up with an angle or make an aspect to a natal planet in the chart. Like if the secondary progressed moon changes signs, but then comes into a square with Mars, that would be something really important to note. Um, and I also like I look at like when the secondary progressed Secondary progressed planets meet up with each other or aspect each other, but also when they aspect the natal planets and angles in your chart as well. So yeah, for secondary progressed charts, I cannot read that on its own. It has to be in relation to the natal chart. And then with solar returns, because I mainly look at it as a standalone chart, You could take this one step further. I do apply transits to that solar return chart, but mainly focusing on the transit sun and seeing when the sun moves through the signs and houses of the solar return chart. So like, for instance, this year, I have a Capricorn rising as my solar return chart. So it's very important. Like I'm tracking when is the sun like the sun is starting because I'm an Aquarius birthday. So the sun is in the second house of the solar return. So it's interesting to see how things have shifted. Like transit sun is now moved into Pisces, which is the third house of the solar return chart. So how are third house themes becoming a bit more prominent for a month? And then tracking like, okay, well, when is the seventh house going to be activated? When's the 10th house? And those themes will also like you'll get that part of the chart more activated when the sun moves through those areas of the solar return. Okay, love the next question. This person says, when you are interpreting for yourself, how do you stay objective? I've looked at all my charts for this coming year and whichever way I slice it, they scream committed romantic relationship, which I would love, but I feel like I'm projecting and only seeing what I want to see. This is definitely, yeah, what I struggle with too. I'm like an optimistic person. So I'm always seeing the best in like a solar return or a transit. Like when I'm looking ahead, I'm almost, I'm always like, yes, this is going to happen. Best case scenario is going to take place. Never looking at what something challenging might be coming up. Like I literally have transit Saturn conjunct my moon right now. And I was refusing to look at how that might be challenging for me. And it's extremely difficult I will say this, though, if you are someone that's like always jumping to worst case scenario, a challenging transit that you're seeing in the future is never, it's usually not as bad as you think it would be. That actually goes for the positive, too. Like, usually it's never as amazing as you think it will be, and it's never as negative, negative as you think it'll be. You're always, astrology aside, I feel like there's this perception of like the future is always better or something your life is going to drastically change in the future where really it's like you're still the same person. It might just be that like, certain things in your life are shifting, but at the end of the day, you're still your same person. So to sum it up, basically, don't overly fixate on the future and remind yourself to stay grounded in the present. Like This is something I have to remind myself of every day. So yeah, try not to overly romanticize the future is what I would say, what, what I would tell you, but be open to possibilities. Next question is, I have a question for Leo Risings. If you are a Leo rising, the sun is your chart ruler. So does that mean your sun sign is emphasized more in your personal makeup? I would say yes. Like you very much identify with the like solar part of yourself and there's just like a real need to Express your identity and have everyone see that. I would say it becomes more important when you're looking at like transits or progressions to your natal sun, because the sun will take on so much more importance when it's activated by these like prediction techniques. Like, whereas someone else, like, yeah, it's a big deal, the sun is activated, but it's kind of like a double whammy if you're also a Leo rising, because. It's like, it's almost like having your rising and your sun activated at the same time. So, when that happens, it's like you can expect major life shifts to occur um, in total transformation and identity, like how you think about yourself or like what you want out of life. Next question is how to predict phases of new friendships and the ending of old ones? Okay, so there's a few different parts of the chart I look at for this. Venus, like looking at transits to your natal Venus is very important. I see friendship breakups happen a ton when transit Saturn aspects the natal Venus by conjunction, square, or opposition. There's just stress on a friendship at that time. Even if it's not a total breakup, like you're gonna go through a stressful period with a friend. Also, like if Saturn is aspecting any planets placed in the 11th house or moving through the 11th house. So I've seen like someone I know has their Taurus moon in the 11th house. So when Saturn was squaring that moon from Aquarius like a couple years ago, they were having a really difficult time with a friend and like almost wanted to cut that friendship off. Um so for More challenging, stressful friendship periods. You're really looking at like Saturn to Venus, Saturn to the 11th house. I would also throw in third and seventh house in there too, because that's, I also associate those with like friendship and like communicating with people. And then periods of new friendships and feeling more connected with people would be indicated by Jupiter. And also like the north, the north node probably moving through. Like, if you had the North Node moving through the seventh, the eleventh, the third, it's like a time of change and like opening yourself up to new networks of people, especially when the North Node's moving through the eleventh. And same with Jupiter, like Jupiter through the eleventh or the third or the seventh, but like really like prioritizing the eleventh out of that trio would just be like being more open to having a sense of community and inviting new people into your life, like just being more outgoing overall. Okay, next question is, what do you think when someone has their sun and moon in opposite signs? For instance, sun and Aries with a Libra moon. So when this happens, that means you are born at the time of a full moon because the sun and moon are in an opposition. So you have that full moon energy like in your personality where it's very much about the other and like relationships playing a huge role in like how developing your identity. Like I just find that people born at the time of a full moon, relationships are super important to them and they're very mindful and observant of like how other people are reacting or how other people are feeling about them or about a certain situation in general. Um, Like it's just being more mindful of other people overall. And also I see this like when with full moon um, charts, it's like these people usually have these very like longer committed relationships that are very important in like shaping who they are. A lot of serial monogamists I see have like a full moon in their chart. It's really interesting actually. Or people that are, yeah, people that are just like, you, you can't remember them ever being single. They're born usually during close to a full moon. But I would also look at like what houses are the sun and moon in, in your birth chart, because it's like You're constantly having to balance your emotions with like logic and like your outer goals across those areas of your life. So let's say you had your sun in Aries in the 10th house and the moon in Libra in the fourth house. There would be this constant back and forth and trying to achieve balance between going after what you want at work and your ambitions versus feeling this need to always tend to your family and prioritize that area of your life so it's constantly like do i put my family first or do i put my own career goals and like more public responsibilities first and having that back and forth show up as a theme just like continually throughout your entire life okay on to the last question i have um, this person asks: My son is in cancer in the twelfth house. The twelfth house has always been a bit scary to me. In a recent reading, I was told that I need to look inward into my ancestral spirits to find my purpose. Do you have any tips on how to do this? Very woo woo, I know. Yeah, that's. It's just not helpful to tell someone like it's so abstract saying like, look to your ancestral spirits. Like how are you supposed to incorporate that into your everyday life? I read the 12th house. So it's interesting. Cause like with the sun and cancer in your 12th house, you're a Leo rising if you're using whole sign and the sun is your chart ruler. So those 12th house themes are so important to your sense of purpose, but What I noticed with 12th house sons is like having more difficulty understanding like who you are and like what you want for yourself. Like that part is just like hidden and maybe there's like a need to have more privacy or not draw attention to yourself, which is really difficult because as a Leo rising, it's kind of like your natural instinct is to be heard. And like recognized, but then having the sun in the 12th house means maybe there's like a fear of being too seen by other people. But I would say overall, like 12th house themes are so important in developing like a sense of purpose and identity for yourself. So really leaning into like things like astrology, like you're clearly already interested in like spiritual activities, which is represented by the 12th. I would also say maybe feeling more at home in like faraway places. I definitely associate. 12th house with like foreign travel what else would I say yeah like really digging deeper into a sense of spirituality basically so whether that's like astrology or meditation also feeling called to like help other people or maybe like things like um having a job where you're of service to people in some way or like feel like there's a deeper emotional connection to others Also having animals, like small pets you like to care for. That's definitely a 12th house thing. Or like, um, again, going back to the topic of career, having something in like a mental health or spiritual field. Like a downside of having 12th house son would be like, sometimes you can be your own worst enemy and really needing to understand how you have certain self-sabotaging patterns and like working to move through that. And that process of kind of letting go of these ways in which you hold yourself back or we're facing any like repressed anxieties and fears, then you can in turn help other people through those same problems. Like I would just keep in mind that theme of like service and wanting to give back with a 12th house son. Oh, one final thing would also just be naturally being very intuitive and learning to lean into that more. Like how can you further develop your intuition and your natural psychic abilities and not being afraid of that side of yourself. Okay. That is it for the questions for today. Thank you again for submitting. I would love to do this again in the future. Um, and I'll see you guys back here on Monday for our usual forecast episode.